1: Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Hang on the Holy Land, Land-Grant Holy Land's flagship podcast. I am your host, Gene Ross, and joining me, as always, is Josh Dooley. Josh, how are we doing on this fine, chilly Tuesday evening?
2: Yeah, I'm feeling it here in Columbus, too. Uh, it's getting chilly, but the news boards are hot, so... Um and Buckeyes, the the Buckeye sports teams are hot too. So we got plenty to talk about. I'm ready to roll.
1: Yes, I love that. The weather is cold, but Ohio State is hot in the streets, uh, on the courts, on the fields, <laughs> on the recruiting trail. It's everything's coming up Buckeyes right now, which we do love to see. So, uh, you know, kind of taking a step away from what we usually do, and it's usually football focused here on, on Hang on the Holy Land. We're going to start out with the basketball team who just returned from their COVID pause this weekend. Uh, they took on Nebraska in their first game back. It was a very exciting game. Ohio State kind of came back won it in overtime. Uh, it is it is now being called the, the Malachi Branham game uh, for his 35 point explosion. He has since been named the Big Ten Freshman of the Week after his breakout performance. He you know he had the 35 points. He was six of ten from three point land, six rebounds, two assists to go along with that. Really just a, a star game for the for the star freshman. This is a guy that we knew coming in would, would play a, a pretty significant role in this freshman year, and he's he's hasn't quite lived up to fully to his expectations yet. But you've kind of seen with e- with each additional game, his confidence just growing and growing, and then he absolutely went off in Lincoln. You know, Nebraska is obviously not the best team in the Big Ten, but it is hard to win on the road in this conference, regardless of the opponent. So an impressive win for Ohio State, having not played since December 11th with their COVID pause and overall a really, really impressive showing from the Buckeyes and especially Malachi Branham.
2: I had really been waiting on a performance like this from Branham. Now, obviously, I didn't see 35 points on the road after a layoff, but you look at what this kid did in high school, Ohio, Mr. Basketball. He's a scorer, and you saw it in glimpses, right, earlier on. It just seemed like sort of a confidence thing. He needed to grow in his confidence and his willingness to uh, take shots in rhythm, drive to the hole, get to the free throw line, things like that. And He really just sort of put it all together in this one game. I thought that his confidence really looked through the roof. Now, he scored a bunch early, which helps, right? Like you see a couple go down, and you really start to to feel yourself a little bit. So, um Just a great performance from him. Hopefully, he is one of those running mates for EJ Liddell. I I wouldn't expect 35 points on a nightly basis, but he can be that complimentary scorer. We've now seen it. And even if we don't get it every game, we know that he's got the potential too. So great things from him. I thought Jamari Wheeler played really well too. He is sort of a, a steadying presence. I've noticed that a lot about Ohio State this season is they don't seem to get flustered. Uh, other teams will go on runs and or and or the Buckeyes will go cold from the field something like that but Jamari Wheeler with all of his experience I've compared him to CJ Walker in the past just kind of that steady as he goes kind of guy that floor general who is a good leader and hit some big shots you know he was played really well in the second half hit some big threes He's having probably his best offensive season. If I pulled them all up, I know he was kind of close. Uh, he's only about a 6-7 point per game score throughout his career. But he's shown the ability to put up more. And some guys just, they, they looked rusty after the layoff, which is to be expected. But the effort is always there. The defense was there when they needed it. EJ was cold from the field, but... He gave it to you in every other area. He's now been credited with seven assists for that game. He had four blocks, eight rebounds, just doing a little bit of everything. So to your point, any road victory in the Big Ten is a a good win. And to come back late and then blow more or less blow Nebraska out in overtime, that was a really good return to play, I think, for the Buckeyes.
1: Yeah, and you, you brought up E.J. Liddell's tough night from the field. He went 2 of 14 shooting, certainly not his best performance, certainly not what we expect from E.J. Liddell. But I just think that makes the rest of this Ohio State performance even more impressive that you have a guy, you know, obviously Ohio State's top scorer, the guy they look to get the ball to more often than not. You see him struggling on offense, but the rest of the team was able to pick him up. And on top of that, Liddell's effort at the other side of the floor on defense never, never stopped. Like you said, he's credited now with officially four blocks. He only had the 10 points, but he had eight rebounds, seven assists. So, you know, while a lot of guys, you know, when their offensive game struggles, they kind of just lose focus and kind of fall apart at both ends. But EJ Liddell was really, really strong on the defensive end. He had a couple of key blocks late in that game his effort was, was never in question. Obviously, the, the ball wasn't falling, but he did hit a pair of clutch free throws to send the game to overtime. He was doing a lot in other aspects of the game. He was drawing some doubles, passing out, making some nice plays. You brought up Jamari Wheeler. He went four of five from three. He was a big emotional leader in that game. I would say he was showing a lot of emotion for the Buckeyes and really, really showing out on offense, which is not what you look for him for. But he you know when he's been putting the ball up, he's been very effective. Uh, you know, A guy like Zed Key had 14 rebounds in this game. So a lot of Ohio State's kind of uh, building blocks around the team, around EJ Liddell. A lot of these, the role player guys stepped up without him scoring the ball. You know, Wheeler and Michi Johnson both hit some clutch threes down the stretch, and it, it was a lot of fun to watch. You know, it was a really exciting game, like you said. The effort is always certainly there. I think that's kind of been the mantra of Chris Holman's tenure at Ohio State. His teams have always played with a ton of effort, and even when you know the shots aren't falling, they don't really get down on themselves. They continue to fight, and that's what they did in this game. And uh, it, it was, you know, like, yeah, it's 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 good to win games, in the Big Ten. It's not, it no, there is no easy stretches in this conference. And so to win on the road, coming off that long pause and doing it in the way they did was certainly impressive. And, you know, in the latest mock here I'm seeing from Fox Sports, they have Ohio State as a projected two seed in, in, the, in the March Madness bracket. So this is a team that, you know, maybe not a bunch of people expected to play well this year, especially after losing Dwayne Washington and not having a lot of other clear scores on the floor outside of EJ Liddell. But they've done a really tremendous job. The young players have stepped up. The veterans have been good leaders and you know speaking of veterans they did this all without Kyle Young who's a big glue guy for this team so all in all a really impressive win for Ohio State you know you're not going to look at the box score at the end of the year and say oh wow that that big win against Nebraska for Ohio State but I do think this was important for the Buckeyes you know a lot of a lot of stuff that happened is good for this team a lot of things they could build on and, and moving forward into the Big Ten schedule I think that they could they could use a lot of the things they learned in this game to to help them out in the long run.
2: Yeah, and I think they're capable of working themselves up to a you know a top two or three seed. That granted, that's a long ways away. <clears throat> excuse me, but you look at the rest of the Big Ten. Purdue lost another game. They were seemingly untouchable at the beginning of the year. So I think Ohio State Purdue's a matchup problem for them uh, with their eight-four center and uh, Ivy. Who, who's a great point guard, but Jamari Wheeler can maybe match up on him. Regardless, I think they can play with Purdue. They could potentially beat Purdue. And there's really no one else in the conference that really scares me. I think Ohio State can play with and beat anybody in the conference on any given night. And another guy I wanted to bring up, too, I hope that we see him more. I just don't know where he fits in the rotation. Is Eugene Brown. He had the big block of that putback attempt. And, it seems like they just sort of put him in as the defensive stopper, but I'd like to see him out there more. It seems like in, in certain games, he's four or five minutes a night, but he always gives you good effort, good defense. And we saw even last year as a freshman, he can be a knockdown shooter if he's feeling it. So I'd like to see him out there more, but it's hard to argue with the rotation because it seems like Chris Holtman is pressing all the right buttons And that button so far has been Eugene Brown limited playing time. But I think that if they need to call upon him later down the road in in bigger moments and with more playing time, I think they can do that, too. So shout out to Eugene Brown, too. That block potentially saved the game for them.
1: Yeah, as a fellow Gene myself, I'm obviously a big fan of, of Eugene Brown. Like you said, he did have a really good defensive effort in that game. And overall, I think his effort's been really strong this year as he continues to grow with this team. Uh, you mentioned Purdue, who is obviously the, the top dog in the Big Ten right now. And and I think it is correct in what you're saying that Ohio State could beat anyone at any time because you see a team like Purdue, they go, they go and they lose at home to, to a team like Wisconsin. And, and, you know, t- all, Wisconsin's a team, Ohio State's already beaten this year. So I think the Big Ten is just going to be a slugfest as it is usually. I do think Purdue is still the team to beat, you know, Jaden Ivey, Trayvon Williams. Like they have, they have absolute studs on that team. And I think they are a really good basketball team, but they do have their stumbles sometimes. They also lost that game to Rutgers on that crazy buzzer beater. So they're certainly not unbeatable. You know, Illinois is still really good. Michigan's struggling a bit. Michigan State still has Tom Izzo, so they'll always be competitive. But I think it's just going to be another, you know, hard year in the Big Ten. If Ohio State does come out of it with a two seed, I think that's a really strong season. Obviously, you know what happened the last time Ohio State came out of the, the, this whole thing with a two seed, but I think they, they probably learned from a little bit of those mistakes. Um, and and I think it's just going to be you know it, it's going to be it's not going to be a, a, an easy season by any stretch for Ohio State. I think every game is going to be a battle, regardless of the talent disparity. I think that's just how the Big Ten plays basketball. It is a tough physical conference, and every game is just a fight for the for the whole forty minutes. But. You know, I think it'll be fun. I think Ohio State's well equipped. I think they have a lot of different areas they could beat you. I think they're very really strong. Strong effort on the defensive end. A lot of guys that like to defend. A lot of guys that are good on that side of the floor. I really like Jamari Wheeler's leadership at that point guard position, which Ohio State has struggled down in recent years. There's been a lot of turnovers still, but they're they're kind of getting it together a little bit there. And you know, just being able to beat teams without EJ Liddell having to score 30 is better than we thought they would be coming into the year.
2: Yeah, that's the rub, right? The Big Ten just as a whole. Is a tough conference, arguably the best conference in college basketball. Actually, I don't even know how arguable it is. Um, so they're going to take some lumps, I would imagine, during the season. But if you look at if you look at what they've done so far, obviously they beat Duke, beat Wisconsin. Um, they're going to play a number of good and experienced teams. So regardless of what their record, is, well, not regardless, but you know, if they drop a couple games, I don't think it will be panic mode for Chris Holtman or this team because of the experience they have and because of the games they've both been in and will be in. I think it's just going to pay dividends down the road for them once they get into the Big Ten tournament and then hopefully, probably, cross your fingers, tournament play.
1: Absolutely. And if you guys want to hear more on Ohio State basketball, definitely check out our Bucketheads podcast with with Connor and Justin. They do a good job of discussing the hoops team. Connor has a is credentialed for the basketball team this year, which is always fun to have the the Land Grant guys in attendance. So definitely check out their guys' podcast if you're looking for more on the Ohio State basketball team. We will certainly touch on them during during some of the big moments this year, but they're really locked in on those guys every single week. So definitely check them out. But we will return to our regularly regularly scheduled programming here of talking about the Ohio State football team, and we will start our discussions this week by talking about the guys who are who are leaving. This the team. Um, uh, One surprise entrant, well, you know, a couple not surprises. Obviously, Thayer Munford is going to the NFL draft, as is Tyreek Smith. But I think the big surprise this week was Master Teague declaring for the NFL draft. I I you know I'm I'm kind of on the fence about this, Josh. I think that there's a chance that Master Teague might actually be a better NFL running back than he was in the college game. You know, he's obviously a huge dude, just absolutely jacked. And I think you know for the style of offense Ohio State wanted to play, I think that guys like Travion Henderson and and Mayan Williams served served them better for their purposes. But I think uh, Master Teague could be a really good back in the NFL. You know, he obviously. You know, he easily could have transferred this year after losing playing time, but he stuck it out. He was a really good teammate. He seems like a good dude overall. So I think that there's a chance he could put together a pretty solid NFL career and and maybe show out better than he did in Columbus.
2: I'm with you. I am in the Master Teague Hive. I think he's been an unselfish guy and a leader of sorts for this Ohio State football team. I think you even brought it up during the season. The, I guess, sort of frustration that some fans had with Master Teague is he only got you what was blocked essentially, right? Like if you opened up a hole for five yards, Master Teague was going to get five yards. He wasn't a home run hitter. But if you've listened to the coaches, teammates, things like that, like they say he's got great speed. It's just a matter of, you know, vision and everything and working on certain things in his game. Um, But imagine if he had a better run blocking line in front of him. That was the biggest frustration with a lot of fans this year. Is the run blocking and Travion Henderson was able to kind of skirt some of those issues because of his high end talent. But I don't think that Master Teague is without talent. I'm with you. I think that if he gets an opportunity, you know he's going to work his tail off. You know he's going to be a good teammate. So he'll probably, if he gets drafted at all, it would probably be like a day three pick. But if he gets into camp and he works hard, and he practices hard, and he shows some coaches some things, then. I think he can stick, you know, look at a guy like, uh, like Rod Smith played for the Buckeyes and he was up and down the depth chart really never got an opportunity and he hasn't been a great running back in the NFL, but he's had, he's been able to stick because he plays on special teams. He does the unselfish sort of things, plays a bit of a fullback role at times. He was with the Cowboys for a number of years. So I do think that Master Teague has a chance because of his physicality, like you said, and just his his willingness to do whatever the team asks and be unselfish about it. I think that at the NFL level, you're always going to look for guys like that. So I hope that he gets an opportunity. I don't think, I was not surprised by him entering the draft because at this point, what's he going to do, right? He's graduated, he's been in Ohio State for four years. Yeah, he could go somewhere else at Uh, not necessarily a lower level, but in another conference or the Mac or something like that, and maybe take on a starring role, but he's clearly set on pursuing bigger goals and bigger dreams. And so I, I wish the best for him moving forward. And I really do hope he finds an NFL situation that he can stick in.
1: Yeah. And, you know, we saw a guy like Steel Chambers transition to linebacker. I wouldn't have been surprised to see Master Teague try out that role, you know, this last year or two. I mean, he is like, like I said, he is just a freak of nature, just a, a massive athlete, one of the probably one of the most ripped guys on the team. And yeah, like you said, you know, maybe, you know, it may be of benefit that he didn't run as much this year. Maybe he goes into the NFL with fresher legs. We see, how quickly a lot of these star college running backs burn out in the NFL because they're just they're just worked into the ground and maybe a guy like Master Teague who has a little bit fewer carries under his belt is better suited for for that league and and yeah like you said you know if he's a guy that if you're going to block five yards from he's going to get you those five yards he's a tough physical runner he's more of a you know vertical north and south guy than he is you know bouncy outside outside the tackles but that's kind of the way the NFL game is played NFL is all about getting those getting those four yards on first down on a run play up the gut and I think that Master T could be well suited in that role. I don't know if he's going to be a a team's star, number one back, but I think he could absolutely function as a team's power back, as as a goal line sort of back. And I think he could carve out a little niche for himself in the NFL. So I'm also, you know, hoping the best for Teague. I'm excited for what he he could bring to to a team in the NFL at the next level. And hopefully he goes in and makes that paycheck after, you know, being being a great teammate at Ohio State. But you did bring up Ohio State's struggles in, in the run blocking department and that, that kind of is a natural transition to talking about a guy like Thayer Munford, who, you know, he, he made his bread at Ohio State as a tackle, but he made the unselfish move himself this year to play at guard because he saw how well Dewan Jones was, was practicing and he wanted to get him on the field. So that was kind of, you know, his own idea. He made that sacrifice. And, and I don't know how what, what that's going to mean for his NFL draft stock. I don't know if teams are looking at him as a tackle or as a guard. I personally think he's much better as a tackle than he was at guard. It, it, it's a tough, you know, tough way to make that move. It's, it, it's tough to... They're, they're two, you know, they play next to each other, but they're two very different roles. We saw how much Ohio State struggled in the run game this year because they're playing so many tackles on the field at once. Um, so I'm wondering if that helper hurt his draft stock. I don't know if teams are looking at him as, you know, kind of this unselfish guy who's willing to, to be versatile on that offensive line, make the moves that are necessary to get on the field and whatever he thinks is going to make his team the best, or if they're going to knock him for kind of struggling at guard this year. So I'm I'm interested to see where he lands in the draft. I don't know what teams are looking at him for which position or if they're just drafting him as, as more of that versatile type of guy. But I, I do think that there's a chance that he hurt his draft stock a little bit by coming back and playing guard rather than tackle. You know, he's obviously like an all-American caliber at, at tackle. And he just wasn't that at guard, so I'm very curious as to where Thayer Munford lands. You know, he was he was a really great player at Ohio State. Maybe struggled a bit at, at guard, but it wasn't his natural position. And I, you know, I'm it's going to be interesting to see what happens in April.
2: Yeah, I think that he definitely hurt his stock in the short term. Right? Um, he was up and down as a guard, and there's the the gif of uh, Aiden Hutchinson just steamrolling him during the Michigan game. But I think if teams, and I'm sure they will, if they go back and they look at his career in totality, he started a ton of games at the highest level in the Big Ten. So I think there's something to that, obviously. And at a minimum, he showed some versatility. So I think there's definitely a role for him. I think maybe day two is probably the earliest he goes, whereas before the season, he may have been a, a late round one guy. I'm not real sure. I don't remember some of the mocks I looked at before the season, but he's going to work. He's going to be a great teammate, just like Master Teague. And he at least has the game film some this year, but much more in previous years um, that, I, that I think and I hope teams will look at. And I you know as a Bengals fan, I saw a guy like Isaiah Prince, right? Isaiah Prince was not the highest draft pick. Uh, I don't even remember if he was drafted, to be honest with you. And he bounced around a little bit. And look, the Bengals offensive line is not great by any stretch of the imagination, but he's been able to stick because he can move from side to side. They've played him inside at guard on occasion. So when you compare those two guys, I mean, look at their college career. Who was better, Thayer Mumford or Isaiah Prince? I think it's Thayer Mumford in a landslide. So. If teams, like I said, just look at his career in totality, I think that they will be more impressed than maybe they were this year. So I think he's going to have a good future in the NFL, and I hope that he does.
1: Yeah, and, and Isaiah Prince, like you brought up, he was a guy that that really struggled at Ohio State. I remember him being, you know, they, he was a subject of a lot of criticism from fans. Really struggled in his career at Ohio State, and then, like you said, he's he's put together a solid, you know, posi- pl- uh, career as a, as a role player for the Bengals, getting to play on that offensive line. He's versatile. He's and he, he's made a name for himself. So you know, it's I don't I, you know, obviously I think that Thayer Montford coming out of college is a much better player than Isaiah Prince was, and. You know, Ohio State's had a had a propensity for kind of sending these these good tackles to the league. They've been more, I think, tackle oriented than guard. The only real, you know, big time guards I could really think of in the last few years were were Wyatt Davis, um and and uh
2: had L flying. Had L flying. Jonah years. Jackson, who
1: was really more of yeah. a, you know, he was he was a finished product when he got to Ohio State. So I don't know how much, uh, like, uh, you know, a guy like Greg Sudrow could take credit for developing a guy like that. But you know, Ohio State's been more tackle-centric than guard-centric. Like I said, I'm, I'm interested to see what teams think of him, where he kind of places himself as as a prospect. You know, he's obviously gonna, I think, will grade out well physically in a lot of the combine stuff, but it will be, you know, he's a guy that that's kind of up in the air in terms of where he'll land in the draft. And I think a guy that's, that's similar to that is a guy like Tyreek Smith, who also declared this week. Um, Tyreek Smith, I think, is probably one of the most held players in college football. It seems like every time he was, had a lane to the quarterback, he was getting held by the jersey or wrapped around the arms, and it was never called. But at the end of the day, Tyreek Smith was just... He was a really good player at times, and he was just inconsistent at other times. There were games where, you know, the game that stands out the most is the playoff game against Clemson, where he just seemed like he was the best defensive player on the field for Ohio State. And then there's other games where you don't really hear his name called at all, so... I don't know how teams will view him either. He's clearly, he's got talent there. It just doesn't show up on every down and in every game. So obviously that's going to gonna hurt his stock a bit. But when he's, when he's on, he's a really, really good edge rusher. He's a really good defensive lineman. And he's clearly a freak athlete as well. So I am, he's another guy that could go anywhere from, you know, he's probably, he's not gonna be a first round pick, but he's a day two, day three guy. And it, you know, just depending on how teams view him, it's going to affect where he lands.
2: Tyreek Smith was the almost guy. Uh, for seemingly the entirety of his career, you mentioned it. Um, he, he just he got so close a number of times. He was the almost sack guy, and I do think he can be successful at the next level. I think he is a really good athlete. He's got tons of experience, and if we're doing comps again, I look at a guy like Jonathan Cooper. Jonathan Cooper was. Up and down, hit and miss during his Ohio State career, but he was a leader. He, he was a five-star recruit coming out of high school. Could never really put it together consistently at Ohio State, but you look at what he's doing now at the pro level. He's playing for the Denver Broncos. He was a seventh-round pick. He had the heart surgery, but he's a starter now, and he's producing. Granted, it was as a result of injuries, but he's doing his thing in Denver with Baron Browning. I wrote about both those guys, I think, right before Christmas. So, um, if the pedigree is there and the coaching is there, these guys can be better at the next level than they were in college at Ohio state. And I think Tyreek Smith can be one of those guys. I think you coach him up, you put him in the right scheme. His athleticism can take over. He's a strong guy. Uh, Hopefully they, they hold less at the next level or he gets called less and he can get to the quarterback a little bit more, but I'm not sure on Munford. I, I'm more confident in Tyreek Smith. I think that he can exceed his college production if he gets in the right situation and gets a chance at the next level.
1: Yeah, I could certainly see that. Like we said, he's he's got the tools... Um, I, I like the Jonathan Cooper comparisons, not really as a, as a play style, but as kind of their their uh, production coming out of college. Uh, yeah, I agree with you totally that he's a big he's a big almost guy. There's a lot of plays where you see him almost get to the quarterback, but he just quite couldn't finish. But it does seem like you know he has the necessary production. Obviously, he's he's coached up by Larry Johnson, who's really good at getting these guys to the league and, and getting them to be stars once they get there. You know, you see the Boston brothers, you see Chase Young, all these guys. He's helped produce and all these defensive ends. So it will be interesting to see where he goes. Obviously, you know we haven't talked about them, but also Garrett. Wilson and Chris Olave declared for the draft. No surprises there. Um, both of them will likely be first round picks. I have a couple of mocks here, Josh. I want to see what you think of some of these, these projections for a few of these guys. Uh, the, the PFF mock, their latest one, only has the first round. Uh, The first wide receiver they have coming off the board is Garrett Wilson going at number 13 to the Browns, which I'm sure a a, a ton of Cleveland fans would love. Uh, They have Jamison Williams as a second receiver going 15 to the Saints, and then they have Olave at 18 to the Raiders. Uh, Pro Football Network has a three-round mock. It's, It's pretty similar with those three guys going in that order, just to different teams. They also have Wilson at number 13 to the Browns, but they have Jamo going to the Raiders at 18, Olave to the Pats at 22. And then in the later rounds, they have NPF, Going fifty-six overall to the Cardinals, so that's a second round pick. They have Munford going at sixty-five to the Jaguars as a third round pick. Interestingly enough, they have him listed as a as a guard for that selection. Uh, they have Zach Harrison, who hasn't yet declared for the draft. They have him going at number seventy-nine to the Texans, a third-round pick. So, if he's getting third-round grades by some of these sites, it'll be interesting to see if he thinks that he could play. You know, if he comes back for Ohio State for another year, if he could play himself into a first or second-round pick, or if he's he's happy with a you know a day two a late day two pick. I think that there's, that's the biggest decision left for Ohio State among their players and and draft. The decisions, um, and then finally they have Haskell Garrett going at number eighty-two to the Raiders. So later in the third round, uh, any of that surprise you, Josh, or is a lot of that just pretty much line up with what what you think these guys are coming out of college? Uh,
2: just because you brought him up last, I was surprised to hear Haskell Garrett's name mentioned. Honestly, as early as it was as a potential third rounder, I I love Haskell Garrett and what he did for this program. He showed a ton of toughness. He's a he's a physical run stuffing kind of guy, but I, I think he's a little undersized at the next level. I mean, he's barely scraping six feet tall. He was a little bit banged up this year, although Ohio State didn't really divulge the extent of his injuries. But I could see him being more of a day three guy, although I hope he's you know drafted sooner or at the very, very least find some success. Um, the receivers, I hope that Garrett Wilson never gets anywhere near Cleveland. But it would be a great pick, and I think he's going to be a home run regardless. I think he can do it all. I think he can play underneath. I think he can take the top off. I think he's got great hands. You name it. I think he can be – gosh, I don't I don't know if he's in that Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase sort of atmosphere, but I'm not saying he isn't. I think he could be a superstar at the next level eventually. Chris Olave – I think he's definitely deserving of being a first-round pick, but I think his success is going to be dependent upon situation. I don't know that Chris Olave can be like a true bona fide number one dominant wide receiver. I look at guys like Devontae Adams, A.J. Brown, doesn't necessarily have the stats, but he's just like that big physical monster. Julio Jones, when he was healthy – And then like, I I don't know that Chris Olave has the athleticism of like a Jamar Chase, who I already brought up, but I think if he lands in the right situation and he can be more of like a 1B or a number two guy, I think he can be great. I brought up like the, the Packers and the Saints, I think in a previous pod, if he can go and be the the complementary wide receiver to a Devontae Adams or a Mike Thomas or a team that needs a good complementary piece. Then I think Chris Olave can be wildly successful. I think it really just depends on the team. You mentioned he was mocked to the Patriots in one of the drafts that you brought up. I think that would be a great situation. They don't need a 1500 yard wide receiver to be successful. They can still find a guy who's going to give you a thousand yards and 12 touchdowns. Um, but I don't want to short sell Chris Olave's speed or athleticism either. Maybe maybe I'm wrong. Maybe he can be a bona fide number one. I just see him more as like a 1B a or a number two guy. Would you agree with that?
1: Yeah, I, I really like the the pack. I, I you know I'm in on the Packers having a Devonte Adams, Chris Olave tandem. I, I think I think you are correct. You know I think they're both gonna be really good in the NFL. I think obviously Garrett Wilson is the better NFL prospect just because of everything he is able to do. He's pretty much a a flawless wide receiver as far as everything goes. Uh, you can't really ask for much more than what he brings to the table. Chris Olave is is a little bit more interesting. He has, you know, I wouldn't say he has his faults, but he's definitely not as as physically gifted as a Garrett Wilson. But he is still really really good. He runs really crisp routes. He's really solid. He catches it more often than he does. not he's good at running those deep routes and, and getting behind defenders and getting open. So I think a lot of that's very valuable. I think another place he'd be valuable is is a team that, that has a mobile quarterback, because we've seen Chris Olave, you know, back when they had Justin Fields, we've seen, and, you know, maybe, maybe the Bears are looking at a guy like Chris Olave to, to pair them up. But, um, you know, we've seen a guy like Chris Olave be able to, to continue his routes and kind of work back to these quarterbacks when they're in trouble. And I think that... It's know, as, drill, yeah, yeah. Yeah, as we've seen teams get more and more like involved in these mobile quarterbacks, I think that having a guy like Chris Olave who's who's done that before in the past and is really good at, at continuing plays and getting open when his quarterback is is in trouble, I think is really valuable for a team. So, you know, I, I don't know about, about like what, what teams are looking for, but, you know, obviously Patrick Holmes is pretty valuable if they, they pair him with a pair Chris Olave with a Tyreek Hill or something along those lines. I think that could be a really, really fun fun thing to happen in the NFL. Yeah, I think both those guys will be stars. I and you might you might hate to hear this Josh as a Bengals fan, but I think that if the Browns were to draft Garrett Wilson, um, I think that they should do the, the Bengals the Bengals method where they they draft the wide receiver, then they kind of just wait, and then they get the quarterback and they pair them up, and then you have that connection. So you know the Browns wait another year, draft C.J. Stroud, you have Stroud, you have Stroud and Garrett Wilson teaming up in Cleveland. I think that's the way to go. You know, you get the you get the star wide receiver paired up with a guy he's comfortable with, a quarterback he's comfortable with, and you really get that cooking. You know, I'm not I am not a Browns fan. I am unfortunately a Giants fan, but I think that would be a lot of fun for the Browns, and I think that. More teams should look into doing that. I think that the pairing the quarterback with the, the star wide receiver is is a really good way to go. It's obviously working in Cincinnati with Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase absolutely going off. So I think that would be a fun thing to see. I know you would hate it, but I think it would work out pretty darn well.
2: Yeah, the chemistry thing would be cool. We've seen the Bengals have success. We've seen other teams, too. Maybe not in back-to-back drafts, but pair up guys who had previous experience playing before.
1: Yeah, you look at uh, Tua, Tua and Jalen Model, too.
2: If you want to count Tua as a good quarterback, sure. But uh, you mentioned like the Bears, if if they could get a Garrett Wilson or a Chris Olave, I don't know their draft situation. I think they're without a first round pick because of the field. Oh, straight. yeah, I I'm forgot sure. they, they are because the Giants have it. I could really see Chris Olave falling into the second round. I don't think that he should, but I could see it. So maybe with the Bears situation, I mean, I think they've got a ton of holes to fill, but one of those is wide receiver. They're likely to lose Allen Robinson. They had Mooney, who... Uh, you know, sort of a a deep threat speed guy. But if they could put Olave or Garrett, well, Garrett Wilson's not going to fall, but maybe Olave does and he ends up in the second round. I think that would be really cool. And I was thinking that this about Chris Olave. Well, I think that he's going to be wildly successful. His absolute floor is a hell of a special teamer. If you remember what he did early in his career, blocking punts, being a gunner on punt coverage, things like that. Like I said, I think he's going to be way better than that but at a minimum i think chris olave is like a 10-year wide receiver because he's going to be out there at worst as your third or fourth guy and he's going to be a willing really good talented special wide receiver which ohio state has really sort of taught that and, and preached that to their guys is you play special teams at Ohio State. So that experience I think will help him and a number of other guys moving forward. Master Teague may be a hell of a special teamer, who knows.
1: Yeah, and you know, we've seen both Gary Wilson and Chris Olave play their their fair share of special teams. Gary Wilson obviously as a returner and Chris Olave more as a gunner. You know, the first the real breakout game for Chris Olave against Michigan a couple of years ago, he had that blocked punt for a touchdown. So we've seen him do it all and yeah, I, I like that as a as an added bonus that you get with these guys that they they both have these special teams experience, and that helps you get on NFL rosters, and it helps you stay on NFL rosters for sure. The The interesting note on Chris Olave is that, like you said, I, he shouldn't be a second-round talent, but this is a very, very deep wide receiver class in this draft. You know, you have guys like Jahan Dotson at Penn State, George Pickens at Georgia, obviously Jamison Williams at Bama, maybe even a, like a Traylon Burks at Arkansas, uh, David Bell, David Drake Bell. London, Wandale Robinson. So there's a lot of really, really good wide receivers coming out of this draft. So, I mean while he you know he's not a second round talent he is a first round talent but I could see you know, him maybe slipping into the early second round because there are so many of these other wide receivers on the board a lot of these also like very very highly athletic receivers and while you know I don't want to I feel like we're shortchanging Chris Olave's athleticism just because we're comparing him to his own teammate and Garrett Wilson who is a freak but Chris Olave is still a hell of an athlete and I think he'll be a very good NFL wide receiver and you know, I don't have any worries about their, either of their careers moving forward, and we'll have to see. You know, As, as we said before, um, you know, Zach Harrison still has a decision to make, but I think that other than him, I think that we're really seeing the only – I can't really think of any other guys on this team that have really draft decisions to make. I guess a guy like Seven Banks maybe, um, but I don't know. Is there anybody else, Josh, that you could think of on this team that has a, a real like, decision to make? I guess uh, Dewan Jones could technically, but I, I don't think he would at this point, but I don't really know of any other guys that have a really big decision to make.
2: Yeah, no, I was going to say Dewan Jones and my personal opinion of Dewan Jones is he is more of a mauler right now. I think he needs to refine his technique. He's a huge guy, so it's natural to just say, hey, he's got the size and that's the most important thing. But at the next level, your feet need to be great. You need to be able to you know, win those hand fighting battles and all that good stuff. So I'd like to see him come back. I don't know if he's been projected in any of those mocks. I think he would be well served to return and come back and do this again for another year. But Harrison's interesting to me. I think that he was mentioned as a potential first rounder coming into the season. He sort of floundered a bit. He was on and off. He had a couple nice games, but he was quiet for, for long stretches as well. So I'd like to see him come back and play a little bit more like of a versatile style and maybe move him around on the field you and I have both talked about that Leo position that Jim Knowles is presumably going to deploy here at Ohio State maybe that's a Zach Harrison role where he flourishes so I, I think both of those guys Dewan Jones and Zach Harrison would be better served to come back but Zach Harrison especially I mean when you've been mentioned in that breath of being a potential first rounder all it takes is one team I don't think he'll be a first rounder by any stretch of the imagination but all it takes is one team to fall in love with him in the second round um and then he gets a much better opportunity and more of a look so I could see it going either way for him but I cannot think of any other guys seven banks who knows um I'm not real sure what happened this year. I think that he's more talented than the film he put on tape this year. He alluded to the fact that he was banged up throughout the season. I am am under no impression. Otherwise, I think there was clearly something going on, but if he came back, I, I don't know that he has a role. He's certainly not one of your two starters, your two traditional starters, and there's a lot of youth behind him. So he may look elsewhere, Or if he does go to the league, I I wish nothing against him, but I I don't see him being a very high pick at all. He would definitely be a day, day three guy, in my opinion.
1: Yeah. And who knows? Maybe if, you know, if with Jim Knowles coming in, maybe if Kerry Combs moves to that corner spot, he could get more out of seven banks next year. So, you know, even if he was a guy that's thinking about the NFL, I think he'd be better served with another year. And just going back to a, to a guy like Dewan Jones, to have him even in the conversation for an NFL draft pick is absolutely incredible. You know, the work that he has put in. This is a guy that came to Ohio State as a, as a recruit that was basically unranked, just deep in the thousands, a real project type offensive lineman, a guy that they brought in purely almost for his size. And he's becoming, a- a really, really good offensive lineman. He's become a, a star on this Ohio State team. He's played himself into an invaluable member of that offensive line. And I, I'm really impressed with what he's been able to do. And, you know, we have our gripes with Greg Sturjawa for his recruiting and his, and his development. But I think that, you know, I don't know how much credit he gets for Dewan Jones, but Dewan Jones has certainly put the work in and has become a really valuable player. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. just talking about recruiting josh as we are one to do we are recording during some breaking news for ohio state
2: and that, is that, yeah, and
1: that is that they have landed another recruit in the 2022 class. Uh, four-star offensive lineman Carson Hinsman has just committed to Ohio State. Uh, the writing was on the wall earlier this morning when a bunch of crystal balls started to come in for him. This is actually a really, really big land for Ohio State. He is—he was between Ohio State and Wisconsin. He is from Wisconsin. So it is a rare win for Ohio State for one of these big offensive linemen in Badger territory. And, you know, another... Huge addition to this recruiting class, um, and it's it's a really you know we we've we've had our So once again with Greg Studeralo, but this is a big get for them going out of state and getting one of these these top ranked offensive linemen, and, and it's another big addition to this 2022 class.
2: This is great, such a great transition because I know you wanted to talk about some of these recruit recent recruits and targets, and Hinsman was one of those guys. All I need to know, or all I needed to hear, was that he's from Wisconsin. And he was being recruited by Wisconsin. One star, five star, it, it almost doesn't matter. Wisconsin is like an offensive lineman factory. So to go into Wisconsin and get him away from his home state, I think, is a huge win. I think it's something that Coach Studd needed, whether he's here long term or not. He needed this in the interim. And Hensman's highly rated, four star guy. Uh, Anywhere between like the sixth and eighth rated interior lineman. I think he's definitely a guard, but you look at some of the other schools that were going after him, Wisconsin, Iowa, Notre Dame, Alabama. So he was heavily recruited and I'm excited to get another lineman in this class. I think they needed at least one more and You know, I think Hinsman's going to be good. Just being from, like I said, Wisconsin and being recruited by some of these schools, clearly the talent is there. And now he's just another, does this make number 20? He's either the 19th or 20th commit. And this class has really picked up some late momentum, which is good for Ohio State.
1: Yes, he he is the number twenty guy in the class. Like you said, a pretty highly rated guy, a top one hundred fifty recruit, top six interior offensive lineman, the number two player in his home state of Wisconsin, listed at six foot four, two eighty. So, you know, a lot of good stuff from him. It is, you know, impressive for Ohio State to win a battle against Wisconsin for a Wisconsin offensive lineman. That is something that doesn't happen very often. And, yeah, like you said, this is a good transition. We want to get into a bunch of recruiting talk today. There have been multiple commitments to Ohio State since the last time we spoke. Hensman, uh, obviously, the latest coming as we were recording. But before this, there was a it kind of – Surprise commitment during the Rose Bowl. Might, might have went a little unnoticed by some that, that weren't paying close attention, but Ohio State did land a commitment in the 2023 class from safety Cedric Hawkins. He is a four-star out of Florida. Obviously, you know, an important position for Ohio State at safety right now. Uh, Tony Alford was his lead recruiter as as kind of the program's main guy that's looking at the state of Florida. But, you know, this is a guy kind of flew under the radar, not a guy that many would have pegged to Ohio State. There wasn't much chatter before his commitment of, of him maybe like looking at the Buckeyes, but it's, you know, it's always good to have a four-star safety in the class. Hawkins has put up really, really good numbers at Coco High School in Florida. He's got, you know, he's got 117 tackles, four interceptions and 10, ten pass breakups in his junior year. Uh, he's a big time ball hawking safety. He's got 13 career picks. Uh, his only real knock is that he's only 5'11", 165, but he is still just a junior in high school. So he'll, he'll have time to bulk up and he is, he's also a track athlete. So you'll love having that in your defensive secondary. Obviously the secondary is a huge, uh, position Ohio State needs to look for in 2023, especially. Um, I don't know if you know how much Kerry Combs has a has a hand in this commitment as well. I'm sure he does with a guy being in the secondary, but a big get for Ohio State in 2023. That class is starting to, to pick up a little bit of steam as we as we round out 2022. But a big get for now. We know that there's sometimes a little bit of a a little bit of trouble holding these Florida guys in till the end and getting a guy in 2023 to commit this early is not you know not the most sound of commitments but it does sound like Hawkins is pretty uh, pretty interested in Ohio State pretty you know wants to get on campus likes what Ohio State brings to the table likes their ability to get guys in the secondary to the league and another you know a good start to the 2023 class for Ohio State
2: You read my mind a little bit and I hate to be this jaded but with a guy that recruits from the 2023 class I'll believe it when I see it that's just the landscape of college football unfortunately right now but you mentioned Cedric Hawkins's uh Ball skills. He had what, four interceptions this year, but I was doing a little bit of reading on him last year, uh last week. Going back to you know, his freshman and sophomore seasons, he can definitely make some plays and, and cause some turnovers there in the back end. So excited to get another guy in the 2023 fold for now. This is where you start to build momentum and get a couple, build your class up to five or 10, whatever it is, and just sort of move forward towards next year and that recruiting cycle. So Good get. You mentioned he's from the state of Florida. Hopefully they can hold on to a guy like this. But for him to also commit this early just speaks to his interest and his desire to potentially be a Buckeye one day. So all good news. But still guarded a little bit. Like, Let's see how this whole process plays out.
1: Yep, and the other the other commitment for Ohio State this week in the 2022 class this time was four-star defensive end Omari Abor. Uh, a huge win for Ohio State as well, get winning out over the home state schools, Texas, Texas A&M. He is a Texas native. We've seen what those recruiting classes for those other in-state schools have become in the era of NIL and all this oil money being thrown around. Uh, he joins a really talented defensive line class with Caden Curry and Kenyatta Jackson. Uh, there's potentially more on the way, which we'll get to in a second. Uh, in that unit, but it gives the Buckeyes nine top 100 prospects in the class. Uh, Abra was at one time a, a five-star prospect. Uh, he's taken a small hit in the rankings as, it, as it's gone on. You know These guys move up and down as, as these, these things come out. Uh, but people want to see a little bit more consistency from him. But nonetheless, he's got good ball instincts, strong pursuit skills. He's got experience in both three-point stance and standing up on the edge. Uh, he's listed at six foot four, 240, so he's got a good frame that he could build on and bulk up a little bit at the next level. Uh, this is a guy that Ohio State was really high on. He was one of their top targets. They're able to land him. He is a guy that is going to continue to take visits in his recruitment, so this isn't fully over until he signs on the dotted line the beginning of February. But to win out right now over these Texas schools is obviously huge. You know, Hopefully he could continue to work with Larry Johnson, continue to build his relationship with Ohio State, and that they could hold on to him through the very end. So two commitments here recently that aren't the most sound, I would say, but they're definitely both big gets in their own respective ways. And, and going out of state and getting these big top national targets is always big for, for a team like Ohio State.
2: And here's me being jaded again. There's just something that gives me pause or concern about Omari Abor continuing to take visits and sort of feel out the process for another month now. I think that if you wait this long, you should – I'm not going to say you should be committed because these guys can do whatever they want, whatever they feel is best for them. Um, But I I would have liked to have seen him say, hey, I'm fully committed, recruitment's over, this, that, and the other. I'm a Buckeye, but he he wants to see what else is out there and make sure that he vets through the whole process, and you can't knock on him for that. The player, uh, fourth-rated edge guy, 6'4", 240, like you said, good athlete, um, good get-off from what I've seen. So he, he would be a big get. I hope that they hang on to him. I assume that they will, but when you start to kind of stack the chips, With him and Kenyatta Jackson, Caden Curry, and the guy that we're going to get to, then it becomes a really sound defensive line recruiting class. And I think that Ohio State needs that moving forward. Obviously, they had the two studs come in this year. They've got a guy like Tyleek Williams, but the reinforcements need to be on the way, especially when you lose a guy like Haskell Garrett and Tyreek Smith and maybe Zach Harrison. So good get. Heck of a ball player. Hope that he remains in the fold. And if he does, I think that he can be another one of those future. Kind of stud edge guys for Ohio State.
1: Yeah, and you alluded to it. I alluded to it. So we might as well get to the the upcoming potential commitment for Ohio State as well. It's all good news here on the on the recruiting trail for Ohio State. And this one is Hero Canoe, uh, another four star defensive end. He is set to commit at this weekend's All American Bowl on January eighth. Uh, he's got five crystal balls all in favor of Ohio State right now. Another one just rolled in today. Uh, director of recruiting at two four seven Sports, Steve Wolfong, has his commitment to Ohio State at, a, at an eight confidence level. So that's generally a pretty. Dark darn good sign. It looks like Ohio State will land another member of this this really strong defensive line class, which they needed to in 2022. You know, it was a bit of a... Obviously, they landed the big guys in, in JT t two and Jack Sawyer last year, but there wasn't a ton else behind them. And so to bring in these really four highly regarded defensive ends, potentially if Canoe is to, to commit, which all signs point to that he will, um, it's a really good class for Larry Johnson. Obviously, you know, we've been down on the entire defensive staff. Larry Johnson has really been the only guy that we've said it's okay if he stays. So... Yeah, to to have him kind of put up this this really good effort on the recruiting trail, land all these guys, and rebuild this this defensive end room for Ohio State is good to see, and and we hope that you know canoe is added to the fold here this weekend.
2: Canoe is the guy that I really wanted throughout later in the process. Obviously, I'm super excited about Kenyatta Jackson. Caden Curry was a little bit of a a, a late bloomer. He kind of came onto the scene later, I should say, but Hero Canoe potentially provides. Just a different dynamic, 6'5", almost 300 pounds. I've talked about it before. He is the most reminiscent of a guy like Cam Hayward that I can remember in a long time. When you talk about that size, uh, that height being almost 300 pounds and still as quick and agile and athletic as he comes across on tape. I think he would be a huge, huge get. And you look at the other schools that were going at him, Georgia, Notre Dame, Oklahoma, Alabama, a lot of schools wanted this kid coming out of California. Good to keep that California pipeline going that Ohio state has sort of uh, developed throughout the years. So he's a guy that I'm really, really high on. I really hope that they get his commitment in a, in a week or a little bit less than that, because again, just the size and the physicality is something that Ohio state Hasn't really had that I can think of in recent seasons. So you put him next to a more developed, experienced JTT Sawyer, guys like that. I think you could have a bunch of uh, monsters up front. Whereas this year we, we saw, like I mentioned, Haskell Garrett, shorter in stature. Zach Harrison, more of like that lean traditional edge guy. You don't know how great or how well he can do in the interior battles. Th- this class is potentially very varied and versatile along that defensive line, which is what I'm excited about.
1: Yeah, and in terms of just the national rankings here, Ohio State does have the number 4 class in 2022. It'll, it's unlikely they'll be able to to move up from that. Uh, if they were to land canoe, their class would sit at, at 20, 21 commits with a, a team score of 304.99. Uh, Georgia is the team in third place. They're at 311.96, and I don't really foresee you know much other much other big recruits happening for Ohio State in this class outside of potentially canoe they were trending at one point for Kristen Miller but it looks like he's uh, looking elsewhere so Ohio State's looking to land the number four class in the country they would have a higher per player average than Georgia Georgia does have 26 total commits whereas Ohio State would have 21 uh, we, we know Texas A M and what they're doing they're probably gonna sign the one of the one of if not the greatest recruiting class in in recruiting history they have they have six five star commits and 19 four stars currently committed a 28 member class uh, way ahead of the pack here Alabama Amazon in second, so that kind of rounds out the top four. Um, But I don't think it's anything to scoff at for Ohio State. You know, this class kind of, it it took a little while to get going here, but they're landing some big pieces late. They're finishing it off strong. They're landing a lot of the top guys they wanted to. And uh, at the end of the day, you know, you might have, you know, the the only real, I say negative of this, was losing Jaheim Singletary, the five-star corner. But other than that, I think they've done a really good job at getting the guys they wanted to. Obviously, having Sonny Styles reclassified to this class was huge. Having C.J. Hicks in the fold early was huge as, as a big peer recruiter in this class and, and Captain Buckeye himself. I'm excited to see both of those guys get on campus and what a lot of these freshmen could do. I don't know how many of these guys will get early playing time, but we know there's a big youth movement going on at Ohio State right now. I'm excited for a lot of these recruits, and I think that you know overall the 2022 class is really strong. And once this wraps up, the, the staff can move on to 2023 and beyond.
2: I'm with you. I think that this class has kind of taken a hit because it doesn't have a Quinn Ewers or, uh, you know, a a Mecca Agbuka, guys like that, the guys that they brought in on the defensive line. But it's a quality class. And you look at the top of it, especially the linebackers slash potential safety that they got in Sonny Styles. Go out and find me another school that got three guys like that at similar positions. So there aren't many out there. Maybe Texas A&M, maybe Alabama, but they did really well. I think where they needed to. And yes, you lost Quinn Ewers, and it seemed like you were going to be maybe struggling at the quarterback position. Then they brought in Devin Brown, who I'm super high on, and I love that I saw on Twitter this week. He was talking about he wanted. Quinn Ewers to stay because he wanted to compete with a guy like that for the title. So I love his competitiveness and his willingness to take on all comers and hopefully win a job. So I'm kind of growing on him and and becoming higher and higher on Devin Brown. I I think Dallin Hayden is a diamond in the rough. Uh, He rushed for over like 2,000 yards, I think, his junior season. So I think he's going to be a good, versatile back. You know you're getting good wide receivers under Brian Hartline and Ryan Day. Now the defensive line, you're going to potentially add two studs to that where you were a little bit lacking with only Kenyatta Jackson, Caden Curry for a while. So that's gotten better. I mentioned the linebackers. I'm still lukewarm on the secondary, but Ohio State has talent in the room right now. So I think we're okay there. So now that we get towards the end of the cycle and the end of the process, you look at it from top to bottom and it's a damn good class where I was, I I don't know, somewhat concerned before National Signing Day, that they were going to keep all these guys and, and bringing them all into the fold, but they have and no, you know you mentioned it. Number four is nothing to scoff at. That's a hell of a recruiting class, and they've gone out and they've gotten positions of need, which I think is a really really good thing.
1: Yeah, and I, I think going into 2023, two of the positions they're going to have to look at are that secondary and then tight end. And, and you know, to their credit, they've already landed a player at each position. They got Ty Lockwood, the tight end, a four-star, top ten in his position, and then we talked about Cedric Hawkins at safety. So they're off to a good start there. But yeah, you know, just going through the class, a lot a lot of really good players at really important positions here. I think the wide receivers have kind of flown under the radar a bit because it's not your your typical Brian Hartline signing like the top five receivers in the country. But there are a lot of really, really good players he's brought in here. You know, Caleb... In Burton, Hartline, we trust. That's all I can say. Absolutely. And Caleb Burton and Caleb Brown, both top 100 players, both top 10 at their positions at wide receiver. Kion Grease is one of those guys who is more of a diamond in the rough. He, when, when Ohio State first got him, he was a three-star and he's worked his way up to a four-star just outside the top 100 overall players. Another really good wide receiver. Kojo Antwi out of Georgia could be another guy who's better than his re- re- recruiting ranking would say. So another really strong wide receiver class for Brian Hartline. Like you said, a couple of these other guys, you know, Devin Brown's a really exciting prospect. A quarterback could be potentially a star at Ohio State. I think he's that good. Um, and then, yeah, the defensive line haul, like we've talked about. Tegra Shibola is, is getting, you know, talks of being a potential five-star offensive tackle by the time things are done. So that would be another big get. Obviously an Ohio guy, but You know, you got to keep those guys home, and Ohio State was able to. So across the board, a good, strong class. Um, I don't know if there's there's much else we've got to say about it, but I am. I, I think it's a good one. I'm, I'm excited to look forward to what they bring in in 2023, and I think they were able to address a lot of their needs here. I think, like you said, the only thing that's a little disappointing is the secondary, but they do have guys. They brought in, uh, I think, five or six defensive backs in the 2021 class, so they do have guys in that room. It's not like they're hurting for talent at the moment. Hopefully, that you know the combination of Jim Knowles as defensive coordinator and Kerry Combs potentially returning to his secondary role will help that room uh, play better than they did in, in in this year and in the year prior. Uh, but I think just overall, you know, scheme change will help with that as well. So I'm not so I'm not worried about the defensive defensive backfield as of right now. Um, but, yeah, I think I think it's a good class. I'm excited for what these these guys are going to bring. And I think that the, the staff did a good job at this one.
2: The only other thing I'm interested in is seeing whether or not they add via the transfer portal. Ryan Day has spoken um, about the fact that he wants to be very careful in the transfer portal and not upset team chemistry and things like that. They got the, uh, the homegrown kid back from Arizona state to switch over to linebacker. Uh, There's been rumblings uh, of a former Oklahoma state safety, I think uh, potentially being interested in a reunion with Jim Knowles. I, I wouldn't be opposed to them continuing to add. I don't know who else is out there, but I can tell you that of like the, 3,000 players that have entered the portal, I think like 70, 75% of those guys are still unsettled on their next destination. So clearly there's talent out there. I don't know if it's necessarily at the top end. And really, this isn't the end of it either. A guy could announce his transfer tomorrow um, or recently like the uh, the kid from Northwestern who's a stud at safety. If they could go and get him and keep him in the conference, that'd be great. I don't know what his interests are. But I do think based on what we saw this year, Ohio State's defense could use some more experience to help bolster that side of the ball. So that's the only thing, the only other thing that I'm interested in during this whole sort of recruiting cycle. But I haven't heard a whole lot about players that Ohio State is potentially looking at. Via that portal.
1: Yeah, it seems pretty quiet on the portal front, but you know, like you said, there's no, you never really know. Stuff could pop up at any given time. Uh, the, the safety from Northwestern is obviously really good. I don't think they're gonna. I have a strong feeling they're not going to go out and try to get Caleb Williams from Oklahoma, but that's another situation <laughs> all on itself. But yeah, I think you know it's, it's interesting to see what will happen with this Ohio State roster. Obviously, everybody's very excited for Jim Knowles. He just he just changed his profile picture the other day to him in, in Ohio State gear, so that's obviously exciting, and he's getting ready to to start that new venture. Hopefully that fixes Ohio State's defensive woes, but there's a lot, this is all stuff that we will have to talk about over the off season. Uh, Josh, if there's anything else you want to say, um, I I think I'm good on this front. I think we've covered a lot today, a lot of recruiting stuff, a lot of Ohio State football talk, both past, former, and and current uh, Ohio State Buckeyes to talk about this week. But uh, I think that's all I have for you, unless you got something else.
2: No, I think we're going to close this one out on some good news with the commitment of, uh, of uh, Hensman out of Wisconsin so excited about him excited about what Ohio State's bringing into the fold basketball team is playing really really well and we're still coming down obviously from the high of that thrilling Rose Bowl victory so a, a good a good pod, good news for on all Ohio State fronts right now, and a lot to look forward to in the future.
1: Yeah, if a different commit wants to, you know, make his decision during every podcast we do, I'm totally down for it. As long as they're picking Ohio State, that's you know, I, I'm here. If they, they want to ever have a weekly commitment during Hangout in the Holy Land, I'm here for it. <laughs> um, I would like more time to prep for it, but at the same time, you know, I'll take what I could get. Uh, but yeah, I think that'll be it for us this week. Uh, We are back to our our normal off-season schedule. We'll be coming at you once a week, usually on Wednesday afternoons or Wednesday mornings, whenever this this releases, but usually on Wednesdays uh, with the latest Ohio State news. So be sure to like, rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff. Uh, Be sure to follow all of our content and hang uh, on com. We will still be, you know, even though the football season is over, the content does not stop. We will have tons of stuff for you obviously there's a lot to talk about this offseason with nfl draft stuff coaching changes transfers all that all that fun stuff we do in the college football offseason as well as the basketball team and uh, the various other sports that we touch on here and there um but yeah that'll be it uh and uh as always uh for josh julie i am gene ross and go bucks